0: This is Mackenzie Milton, and you're listening to One Night Stand. Caught with straight shots and then pop bottles. Work with the hood rats, then pop bottles. Caught with straight shots and then pop bottles. Work with the hood rats. Okay, we pop a champagne like we won a champion.
1: Look like I got on a champion. Cause I bought home. Don't be by a I am the bird man. This is One Night stand. Presented by SeatGeek. I want to say one thing real quick though. For away games, always buy your tickets through UCF. And then if you don't like them, resell them and use SeatGeek promo code UCFproblems for $20 off your order. But buying through UCF supports the school and you can always get rid of the tickets later. So I just want to say that. I'm not saying don't buy through them, but use our promo code if you want extra tickets. What up night fans? It's Tuesday, October 8th. On today's show, we recap the heartbreaking loss at Cincinnati on the road. We talk about my trip there a little bit. A little Skyline chilly review. We go over some positive takeaways from the game. Some reasons for optimism going forward. Squints comes on to talk more about hype and his play calling. And the quarterback play and the O-line. We have the usual segments, Money Moves Picks. And we answer all our questions in the mailbag. And I'm here with Money Moo, another heartbreaking loss for UCF as
0: they go down to Cincinnati 27-24. The incredible 31-game streak of scoring 30-plus points finally comes to an end, and UCF is 4-2.
1: Yeah, um, geez, where do we start? Since Friday, social media has just been an absolute war zone between, you know, everyone's takes and arguing back and forth. and. You know, I've had some negative things to say, I guess, about how I feel we should call plays and and whatever. And a lot of people are responding saying to just, you know, be quiet and be thankful for the last few years. And I understand that. I I get it. Um, You know, losses happen. We're not used to it, whatever. But at the same time, I first of all, I am thankful for everything that's happened over the last few years. I mean, just look over to the West. You know, I'm glad we're not them. I'm glad our program's in a good state. This is not the end of the world. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that I can't expect the best for mainly our players, but, you know, me as a fan too, but mostly our players. You know, these guys put their heart and soul in everything, and if I feel like stuff should be changed, then I, I can say it. I-, I mean, I'm sorry. I'm allowed to have an opinion. Everyone is, and you can tell me I'm wrong, and that's your right too, too. So I just kind of wanted to address that. Anyway, the season is half over. Uh, Six games down, six to go, which is crazy. It's gone by so fast. But we all need to, you know, we need to buckle up. This team needs our support now more than ever. And I said this on Twitter the other day. The true test of character is how you respond to adversity. We need to respond. We need the bounce house, loud and packed for every game for the rest of the season. It's not the end of the world, guys. So let's rally together and support this team, but more importantly, these players going forward. Because that's what we
0: do, right? I mean, how many times a day... How many times a minute do you think about UCF and football and this team? I feel like that that's all we do, really. Yeah, that's why. Even in the off season,
1: The word fan stands for fanatic. We are UCF fanatics. And so, yeah.
0: <laughs> it's just crazy to see. You, you got to tune all that social media stuff out. I know we're really big into social media, but a lot of the people that get on there, you know, it's real easy to just get behind a keyboard and go, oh, fire hypel." Do this, do that, and you don't realize like how much goes into the prep and you know the week to week, just yeah. everything. Coaches yeah. put
1: in 16-hour days, and look, do I think things could be done different? Yeah, we can't fire Hype. He's he's great for us. I mean, we could be in a way different spot. Look what happened when USF lost Taggart. Even though Taggart's not doing that well, he was for USF. They got Charlie Strong. The program just gotten worse every year. That could easily be us. I get that. But at the same time, I expect the absolute best. And if that doesn't happen, it's not the end of the world. But I'm still allowed to voice my opinion on things that, you know, I think could be done better. So I'm not sorry about that at all. Um, All right. So let's dive right into this game. Let's talk about the good stuff first. Where should we start? I love the
0: defense. I'm going to go out on a limb and I think the defense played their best game of the year they really did for for how many times we kept giving him the ball back you know just the different situations that they kept being put in they had that one long run uh by Michael Warren near the end it was like 60 something yards but other than that you know we I thought the defense played
1: really well Nate Evans was awesome Kalia Davis dude he's been the best player at least from Pro Football Focus, he's been the highest-ranked player on defense this year and he's not playing as many snaps as some of the linebackers, but you know, for being his first year on the defensive line, switching from switching from linebacker, he's played lights out. Yeah, I think the defense was definitely the best part of our game on Friday night. Also, special teams. You guys saw the NFL Sunday. The Patriots brought in a new kicker. He missed like 3 kicks. The Titans just dropped their kicker. He missed 4. Special teams. I mean, if Barnes misses a couple of these field goals, we're not even remotely close to being in this game. Mind you, I think we should have did better in the red zone, but that's a whole other argument. Him going three for three. It's just nice that I feel like I'm confident we can count on him to make kicks in clutch situations when needed. So that's definitely a bright spot. And you can't forget Gabe Davis.
0: What a machine, man. What was his stat line? 13 catches,
1: 170 yards. Dude, we'll get to the play calling later, but I get why we kind of keep running the same plays to him. I mean, we had like two plays in a row where the cornerback was playing 10 yards off of him, and we just ran a quick slant. And I mean, we'll take that all day, 10 yards, and he could easily, he's busted those, you know, to the house before too by breaking tackles because the dude just an absolute freak. That one defensive back that was
0: on him though, I feel like he was better than that Stanford guy who supposedly is supposed to be a first-round
1: pick. The Cincinnati guy was good. And he was a freshman. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, he's going to be trouble. <laughs> you know, those two plays everyone keeps talking about um, towards the end, you know, go-routes to Davis where he just couldn't come down with it, those were good defense. I mean, the second one he probably should have caught, but he's a baller, and normally he bodies these guys out of the way, and this was really, really good coverage by that cornerback. So, you know, hats off to him. Obviously, Gabe is still had an incredible game, as usual. His stat line at the end of the year, he's going to break like every record, I feel like. Um, it's just unbelievable how good he's doing. Another thing, too, uh, how awesome did our uniforms look? I really like i like the uniforms. I really like the white jerseys with the gold numbers. Now, on the flip side, the black ones with the gold are so ugly because they got the white collar and like the white sleeve thing, and it just looks weird. But the white with the gold, especially with the gold helmets, I think we look sharp out there. Um, yeah, not much else. That <laughs> I thought all right go. now
0: for the next thirty five minutes. Nah, it's the bad man. stuff.
1: Um, maybe not bad, below average or not. Up, average. Not up to our very very not high up standards. to our high standards. Right. Um, we'll take that. All right. So starting right off, when I rewatched the game, the first thing I saw was our play in the red zone. What was was the first one a field goal? Yeah, first one was a field goal. Then the next drive, we drove it down. That's when Davis slipped, right? Yep.
0: Second one, second and goal in the nine, intercepted by Cincinnati. That's when he had a pretty long return. He almost took he really almost took it all the way back to the house.
1: Great hustle by Marlon Williams to track that play down and cause a fumble actually at first. He was down just barely. But going back to the play, that's not on Dylan. I'm sorry. That's, it's not his fault. Davis slipped. At worst, that would have been an incompletion. He was good on those slant routes all game, though. That could have easily been a touchdown. That's not a negative play, and Squints will talk about this later. That's not on him. So you say he had three picks. As a lot of people saying he should have been benched, another topic we'll get to. That one definitely wasn't his fault. Um, then was it, what, the next possession back down in? No, we, well, we had a punt, but then... The next
0: scoring opportunity we had, you know, we had first and goal on the five, and only came away with three points.
1: Yeah, and you know what? What can you say? Hindsight's twenty twenty. The plays we ran probably have scored touchdowns and, and made big plays before. They just didn't. At this point in the game, way too early to to critique the play calling, though. I mean, it's still the first quarter, not a huge deal. Whatever. Should we have scored? Yeah, obviously. They change up their defense from the week before. The offense was probably getting a different look than they were used to practicing against our scout team all week. So I get that.
0: Overall, though, the theme was we were able to move the ball, but we weren't able to punch it in the end zone. Overall, six red zone trips and only one touchdown, which I think on the season we were closer to like
1: 80, 85% scoring in the red zone. Not 18% or whatever this was. And, you know, that's the thing. All this other stuff we're going to talk about, should we have put Mack in, the play calling, it wouldn't have mattered if we had just scored, like on two of these plays, we would have just scored a one. touchdown. On one. Yeah, I mean, yeah, seriously.
0: The so, whole narrative changes. A lot of people are saying, uh, why didn't we see Mack? Why didn't we see Mack? Even saw some people, why didn't we see Wimbush? A lot of people are putting Dylan Gabriel on the stand right now and saying...
1: It's his fault or whatever. No, not at all. First of all, it's not his fault because the second pick was kind of almost the tight end's fault. He got jammed up at the line, and then he tipped the ball up. That's not his fault. The pick six was his fault. So he had one really bad throw, and yeah, it was costly because it was a pick six, but that's not a reason to bench him, not at all. And on top of that, I don't think Heupel gave him a chance with the play calling. And again... You know, here's what I think. It's been kind of suspect all year, and losing really brings it up because when we lose, I sit down, I watch every single play and scrutinize it. But I think winning was just maybe covering up this uh, air quote vanilla play calling. And, you know, we talked about it two weeks ago with Squints, and we're going to talk about it more. But, you know, I mean, the O-line was another thing, too. There were plays, that fumble play, it got blown up in mid-exchange. You know, he was handing it off to the running back, and the defender was untouched through the line of scrimmage Hit them, of course the ball is going to come out. That's not their fault. So, you know, I think the fact that we were having trouble blocking them, maybe we should have called some quicker plays, some screen passes. I don't even know if those exist in the playbook. Um, Something to change it up and throw them off. You know, some rollout plays, get them out of the pocket. If it's not working at a certain point, I think you got to change it up. You know, no motion or anything, too.
0: I mean, kind of goes back to like Madden when I only used to use single back. Yeah. And
1: what's it called? Four streaks or whatever. (laughs) Like the
0: same thing over and over again.
1: Yeah. And I just don't see why we can't give them different looks, use some motion, misdirection. One, that helps you read the defense better. But two, it just keeps them on their toes. I mean, we were running the same like six plays all game. And I get it. You know, a lot of the time they're open and they work. But at the same time, why not try something else where you can really catch them off guard? because they I mean they knew what we were throwing at them.
0: Absolutely. When we were on offense, I was watching Cincinnati linebackers and they were trying so hard to mask that they knew what we were doing. You know, oh, I so get... so we, we didn't like audible out of it. Right. You know, they were but you just, could just tell they were like so Anty, yeah. antsy, ready and to just ready. Out of shoes, yeah. Get ready. shoes. And then of course, what do you know? It was exactly what they thought and then there was Greg like getting tackled four yards behind the line.
1: Yeah. And you know, when our blocking's good, those plays are awesome. Those those plays a lot of the time end up being huge plays, but our blocking wasn't good, and I, I think at a certain point you've got to abandon that. Our best looking play of the game was that two point conversion. Remember? We had two running backs. I think we faked the jet sweep to Killens, everyone went left. Dylan looked left, left, and at the last minute just turn right and Killens was open in the corner of the end zone. A perfect play, just like the two point conversion we had against LSU, remember. So there's a This is one of our strengths. Wait, and it was the same formation, too. So Hypo has these special two point conversion plays when we like have to get them clearly up his sleeve. Now, let me ask you this. Why did we not run one of these plays? On fourth and two against Pitt. million because dollar question. Last time I checked, a touchdown, scoring a touchdown is way better than a two point conversion. So why save these plays? It's mind boggling. They exist somewhere deep down in the playbook. And he pulls them out for, well, we're down nine and have to go for, we're down 10 and we have to go for two. Oh, whoop de doo. Then we don't get the onside kick. So great. We just wasted one of our great touchdown scoring plays on a meaningless two point conversion. I just don't get it. I'm sorry, I'm not a football coach or anything like that, but, I mean, this point blank just seems like it doesn't make sense. I know I'm not the only one frustrated.
0: I don't think anybody knows. No one knows. It's just, it, it it baffles my mind, though. Cle- because
1: we know we have them. Yeah, we have the plays. He saved it for when we really needed a two-point conversion. But If why- we weren't
0: talented enough and, you know, we just... We didn't do that two-point conversion play. We did the same run up the middle off a shotgun. I'd be... Still disappointed, but I wouldn't be as frustrated. But you
1: know, the like you can see the light; it exists. He's shown flashes of very creative motions and play calling, and then for most of the game, they're just not there, and it's just it's sad. We're wasting a ton of talent on offense, and you know, Squints always talks about this when we have two running backs in the backfield; that is a huge mismatch. Hescock on a linebacker is pretty even. A running back like Otis or AK or McCray or anyone guarding a line a linebacker guarding them out of the backfield is a huge mismatch. They can't guard those guys. Except my boy, Tavius Thompson, who
0: yet again he is a linebacker was a complete no show. <laughs> didn't even get in the game. I know of one other game this year where he did not play. Can
1: you just take a guess at what other hmm. game? What, he other didn't game play? what other game? What other game? Was like Cincy, so on the road and lost by a couple points. Pit,
0: that's correct, my friends. The two games in which we lost, Bentavious Thompson did not even sniff the field. Coincidence?
1: Mm, I mean, you look. I don't know. I he's just a way different kind of back than those other three. Well, we
0: needed something different, did we not?
1: Yeah. And I mean, I, I'd rather you know, if, if we're getting stuffed up the middle, I'd rather him get stuffed and possibly a whole day. If he gets
0: stuffed up the middle, okay, no problem.
1: You know, you're right. I mean, if something's not working, try something else. I don't know. We haven't seen enough Marlon Williams either. That's a complete waste. And I know our other guys are really good. I'm not saying he's better than them or even vice versa, but I just don't see, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. (laughs) What's
0: done is done. Let's. um...
1: All right, I feel like we could talk about that all day. Let's move on to some of the other things from the game. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about the game day experience in Cincinnati. Nippert Stadium, really, really cool. Whole campus, not really in that good of an area. But I don't know if you guys saw my snaps. I found, like, the memory mall of tailgating. And everyone was super inviting, like, literally inviting us into their tailgates as we were just kind of walking around, like, with a six-pack of white claws, like, just checking it out. Midwest people are awesome. Uh, but yeah, stadium not really in that nice of a place, and I, the Uber system there is weird, dude. They're, they're not allowed to just pick you up anywhere. There's like little designated spots, and I don't know what happened after the game. It was dark. I was tired. Ended up in like a really really bad area, but ended up okay. Cincinnati, as a whole, is a really really cool city. It actually kind of reminded me of a lot like Pitt, like a major city, but not like a huge, you know, one with like skyscrapers and stuff. The downtown's right on a river. Uh really cool stuff there. Oh, skyline chili. All right. The most polarizing food item in like the history of food. <laughs> people seem people on social media all week were like getting heated about this. Like almost as heated about this as like our play calling and stuff. So I went to check it out. I didn't even know what it was. I thought it was just a bowl of chili. Almost all chili's good. All the ingredients are good. Like it's tough to make bad chili. But anyway, it's not just chili. You get a bowl of spaghetti. And then they put the chili on top and then just a mountain of shredded cheese. I thought it was awesome. Now, the actual place, it's like a Waffle House kind of. So I I think the reason people get so upset or like, I think the reason people like hate it so much is because it's not great. It's like, it's Waffle House-ish food. So set your bar at Waffle House and the food's good. It's cheap. It's quick. It's whatever. It's not like a gourmet restaurant. Of course, it's not that good. But it's pretty delicious for cheap food. I think that's the best way to describe it. I mean, I thought it was awesome, and I just realized there's one where I live, so I will definitely be going back.
0: Well, I was going to say, I'm just laughing at how you think this is so groundbreaking, like Skyline
1: Chili, you're just now figuring this out. I didn't know about it until I said I was going to Cincinnati, and then people were like, oh, you got to go to Skyline, and then someone replies to them, and they're like, oh, it's so gross, and then I'm like, well, now I really got to go, but uh, yeah- definitely the gift that keeps on giving. Um, <laughs> I uh, felt the after effects for eh, about half of the next day going through the airport and stuff. Hey. But uh, yeah, anyway, so if you're ever there, check it out. It's pretty much it from Cincy. I was only really there for 17 hours. Just a quick little away game trip. And you know, like I said about Pip, this is a city I'll probably never go to in my life, if not for UCF football. And if you can make these little trips, I mean, my ticket was a hundred bucks round trip. I wasn't there for that long. If you can do it, check out some of these cool away games. I've I've actually been to Tulsa before. I can't make it, but there's some cheap Allegiant flights, and that's actually a really cool little city too. And I don't know, it just you know get out there and, and support the team too. I'll tell you what, when the players look back and like see fans and stuff, that means so much to them. Yeah. like,
0: that was the best. Yeah, it, especially at Pitt. I don't remember what I yelled, but I yelled something at Cam Good, and he looked up at me and like pointed.
1: It's cool. It's like, wow, this person like spent all this money to come watch. I mean, watch the team, but like to come say hi to me. Like that means a lot to them, and it's obviously cool for us for them to wave and acknowledge. But it goes both ways, and it's just a really neat thing to be able to do. Highly recommend that. Also, I think there's a lot of people going to the Temple game. Philly's an awesome place too. Probably somewhere you should check out regardless if we play Temple or not. I know. I really wanted to go bad because the flights are actually pretty cheap, even
0: out of Fort Myers. Ooh. And I've been to Philly before. Mm. I, a lot of people don't like Philly. We went a couple years ago. I we loved it. I've been I once. I thought it was great. I thought it was cool. It was better than New York City. I mean um really anyway, old city. That's her anniversary
1: weekend, so I don't know if she's gonna want to do that. <laughs> I wish I could go the rest of the games. I'm I'm burnt out. Like these weekends just destroy me. It just it's I don't just... know how you're still because you've been going since what FAU? Yeah, I've been to every game. I didn't go to UConn, but I was in New Orleans that weekend. Oh yeah, and then, that's what I'm saying. But you I'm, I'm you've tired. Been
0: go- what about the week before FAU? Was that Famu?
1: That was Famu. Yeah, and you went. I went
0: there. So too. So you've been going. You've been away on a trip since.
1: Yeah, fam. You. I mean, August this is, twenty something. This is what I do. I start to get busy with work and like toward the end of October. So this is kind of like my summer vacation. And so yeah, then, you've been six in a row. Yeah, and, six weekends in a row. And uh, this week we got a bye week, but we're going on a bachelor party to Columbia, South Carolina. No, the, uh, the Cart- country Cartagena, mm-hmm. Columbia, Our best friend DJ Pav. Is getting married on conference championship day. So maybe that worked out scheduling wise. (laughs) Or, oh, here's a question. Is Pav to fault for our losses? Did UCF lose on purpose because of his wedding?
0: I don't know. It's possible.
1: But uh, yeah, so Columbia this weekend, that's going to be fun. Hope you guys all enjoy the bye week. Uh, And then we got ECU after that. So you'll be at eight in a row. Eight weekends in a row, and then we're on. Then we're in like Tulsa or something or Temple. Oh, or something. So, so finally, done. you get a weekend to sleep. <laughs> I get a break, but uh, yeah. And also, e- just announced ECU homecoming game, seven p.m. night game. I'm loving these night done games. Done and done. I'll be there. I'll be there too. We're doing a tailgate again.
0: Yeah, but we'll be in. We'll still be in Columbia when the spots open. So we gotta get oh, somebody to. Get if us you're a spot.
1: listening, please. Send us a message or something. If you can get us a spot, we'll let you know like kind of where we want it. We will, I don't know, pay a special you special prize, something, give you some beer or I don't know. But yeah, that would be helpful. I'm glad you thought of that. I would have yeah. never thought we got
0: all the stuff. Just put us down as like your set, your backup person to check us get in the
1: spot. Yeah. All right, let's do our interview. We have our favorite guest on Squints. He comes on to talk about. All the hot topics, Uh, should we have sat, should Hypo have sat DG, Um, we talk about the play calling, we talk about the O-line, all kinds of stuff. So let's do it. All right, we're here with our favorite contributor, analytics expert, Squint. Thanks for joining the show.
2: Appreciate you having me. Yeah. I um, use the term expert a little little loosely. Yeah.
1: You got paid to do it, so that makes you a professional. So I think expert's definitely in that kind of realm of adjectives of your job yeah. description. Yeah, and I don't know if I,
2: I don't know if I've hit the ten thousand hour
1: mark. But. <laughs> oh, is is that like a thing for like the analytics nerds? You Ooh. count your hours. <laughs> I, what's,
2: there's like a scientific study of like ten thousand hours until you like perfect something. I don't know.
1: Oh, okay. I thought that was all right in your little yeah. analytics bubble. All right. Um. Anyway. So yeah, we talked to you two weeks ago. You know, we had a lot of stuff to say, which a lot of people didn't like. But I think you backed it up with your data about, you know, running the ball too much on first down and some play calling and some motion and stuff. What did you see the next week against UConn? That was it the same thing, or what? Did, what did you see against them?
2: Yeah, UConn game. It kind of looked like they were starting to add some stuff to the offense, which is a little weird because UConn, you normally kind of try to hide some stuff, especially how early that game got out of hand with the early turnovers. But the first play of that game, I think, was a jet sweep to Otis, lined up in the slot, which I think almost everybody will tell you they want to see more of. They ran a fake uh, now screen where Gabe pretended to block and then just was wide open in the end zone because the two DBs jumped. Uh, they never, they haven't used that again, and they throw plenty of screens. Uh.
1: So they ran, and we talked about this last week on the show. We actually made the joke, like, hey, they listen to squints. Like, someone close to Hypo must have listened to it because they change everything, and we thought we were all good. Going into Cincinnati, I mean, I know road game, hostile environment, even though it wasn't nearly as loud as Memphis, honestly, and Memphis was only at, like, two-thirds capacity, but – you know, we figured we would see a lot of the same stuff. And at least from my kind of untrained eye, that's what it seemed like. And that's kind of been what everyone's been talking about this week. So what did you notice, I guess, in, in terms of play calling and stuff against Cincinnati?
2: Yeah, I mean, the just the play design and like creativity factor, like everything that kind of what I guess you took two steps forward. Well, I would say Cincinnati you took like three steps back. They only use motion on one play the entire game. Significant motion. I think, uh, Hescock motion like H back left to H back right, like two times. That doesn't count though. Consider that significant. But the only one that they motioned was Hescock from an H back, Y back spot out. He went all the way out wide, which made Gabe become the slot receiver, kind of taking the outside corner off of him and making him a slot guy and opened up the little middle of field on his own against his own coverage, and he just ran a little, like, 17-yard deep curl and sat right in, in between the zone right in the middle of the field. And it was one of the best plays that the yardage-wise, 27-yard play that they had all game.
1: So why – you don't have the answer. I'm just kind of talking out loud. Why did we not do more stuff like that? And then another thing too, I guess, is in the beginning of the game, didn't it seem like we were kind of moving the ball at will? Um, what, what did you think about, I guess, kind of how the – game plan started and what we did for the rest of the game
2: yeah it was interesting because the first drive of the game it looked like since he kind of was sitting back playing like cover four cover three I'm not really you can't really see the whole coverage on broadcast view because of just the spacing and stuff like that so it's hard to tell exactly but it looked like they were just running like cover three cover four or whatever where they didn't want to let UCF beat them deep which makes sense because that's what we do particular that's like how they've been winning and stuff like that and they were going to make them beat them some some other way which is just a good game plan by the sense d coordinator who i think called a great game and came up with a great game plan but they in the first first series they went 10 personnel like the whole entire time until they got deep into the red zone with otis split out left in the slot and they were running a bunch of RPOs, just him and Gabe, just running six, seven-yard hitches and curls, and they went uh, right down the field pretty much. I mean, that first drive was probably the best drive of the game for the most part, and it was all out of 10 personnel, which they ran 30 of the 91 plays that I charted, which is not a lot considering 26 of them came in the first quarter and the fourth quarter when they went down two scores and kind of had to go pass heavy. What so, was
1: what was the success rate on ten personnel compared to eleven? Which for those I know we've explained it before, ten personnel is four wide receivers and one running back, and the eleven is three wide receivers, and Hescock pretty much is the H back who kind of shifts around yeah. in the backfield. What was the difference in success rate between ten and eleven?
2: Yeah, so out of ten, like you said, uh, they ran thirty times. 30 plays, they didn't run 30 times, that's for sure. Uh, They had a 53% success rate, which for this game was really good. It's really good in any game, but just like the difference between that and their total for the game is crazy.
1: Especially considering out of those 30 plays, they only ran like four or five times, right?
2: Yeah, they ran four times, which, like an old adage kind of thing, is like run out of pass formations, which obviously a four wide receiver set is, and you throw at a
1: Heavy sets Run or,
2: formations, which yeah. is like 12 personnel, 13. 11 pretty much your common basic personnel. They ran it four times. They had 11.75 yards per carry on that, which I think there was like a zero-yard run, a negative one-yard run, an 18-yard run, and a 20-yard run. So two, the two. 11.75 is a lit, little exaggerated, but still right. two very productive runs and then, for a game where they didn't have much. Then they had 7.71 yards per attempt. They also drew three pass interferences and defensive holdings. Zero turnovers, and there's eight pressures or run disruptions on those 30 plays, which was like 26.67% of the time. And they only let up one sack out of 10.
1: Nice. And then what about 11? I have a feeling there's going to be a pretty significant drop-off.
2: Yeah, so they used 11 57 times, which primarily – in the red zone in the first quarter and then the second and third quarters like the whole entire time because they only use 10 four times in the second and third quarters together. There's a 28.07% success rate, which is just god-awful. 2.07 yards per carry, 5.36 yards per 10, all three interceptions, the fumble, and there's a pressure or run disruption on 36% of the plays, and there's two sacks. So I mean the numbers are just drastic.
1: Right. And now no, we're not saying we're not saying anything really, but if they had ran ten personnel all game, the success rate probably would have been down a little bit. We don't know that. But I think it's pretty clear that and I'm not saying Hescock's bad or anything like that, but the way we're using him in these in this offense as the lead blocker or just back in pass protection is not adding anything. If anything, it seems like it's hurting us. I mean I think it's pretty clear. We had this conversation after Pitt where you explained kind of when he stays back, that brings another man rushing. So if anything, it'll be the same as if he wasn't there, but at worst, it's another possibility for a missed block and a, um, you know, a quarterback hurry or something like that. Right.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's for sure. Like the biggest thing with like men in box and stuff like that is people think that like you could just stack the run against like to stop the run, but Really, the men in the box is dedicated by personnel. So usually 10 personnel, you'll take somebody out of the box and 11 will bring somebody in. But actually, this game was actually a little interesting because since he stayed in like a 3 3 the entire game, no matter what UCF was in, either 10 personnel or 11, which is interesting because normally you'd be like, well, running the ball should work against that. When you have your six guys and then you're running back, it's one-on-one everywhere pretty much. but there's just a ton of like missed assignments and stuff. I'm sure we'll get into a line play a little later. So stuff like that. So the running the ball, it kind of was hard to really knock while doing that because like the numbers advantage was there. But at the same time, out of 10 personnel, like what they were doing and how they were attacking since uh, he's defense was just working so well that there's no reason to go away from it. Just the way that the safeties were sitting back and the corners were sitting back and they could just pepper Otis and Gabe with, these little five and six yard hitches. It just didn't make sense to go away from after the first drive.
1: Yeah, we did. And and then even, I mean, the first three drives, I think, or three out of the first four went to the red zone. And then, like, it felt like we just stopped. I mean, I know there was some turnovers and stuff, but I guess what did you notice after the, the start of the game? What changed besides, was there anything different besides just running different formations or what?
2: Yeah, Uh a quick thing going back to your uh, Hescock, adding an extra blocker, it also takes away an extra route from a receiver, which exactly. makes it ease a, 10 times easier for a secondary, especially when you're playing nickel package. And a lot of people look at um DG and like he's staring down receivers. He only has three receivers and he only has two sides of the field to pick from. So he's basically using half field progressions pretty much where he's only reading half the field. And that's kind of why you see him just pretty much lock into one side of the field after after he gets a snap. And it's usually after an RPO, he's kind of just locked in, which it makes it extremely difficult yeah. to throw one.
0: As far as the play from Dylan, we've had a lot of talk and conversation uh, on social media about, you know, maybe hype should have, sat him down and brought in, you know, either Wimbush or Mac. What are your feelings on that with a struggling quarterback? And maybe not just in general, but for this specific situation, if you were Coach Heupel, what would you have done in the game differently uh, with Dylan?
2: I mean, I, I'm completely fine with not taking him out. I think he would have been crazy to take him out. I don't really think he played that bad. He had a bad PFF grade, but it, it wasn't like drastically bad. But just like if you go through all the plays, he didn't like. He made a few bad throws, but it's like you can't expect somebody to make a good throw every single time. And the amount of pressure that he was under is ridiculous, and I don't think people realize how good um, he's actually been like throughout the season.
1: We he, did, I, I guess we kind of did until he no, started losing. No,
2: yeah, I, yeah. mean, people, I like, did. People like <laughs> realize like obviously like the numbers he was putting up was. Um, unbelievable, and this game he wasn't exactly. I think he was one for eight on passes thrown twenty plus yards, but accuracy wise, I think I had him at fifty percent. There's a ball to Trey Nixon where the play Nixon got hurt on. I don't know if you remember that play. Yeah, yeah. But it looked like Nixon just completely slowed up. He slowed up, and then he and the ball would have looked like it would have been like right where he was running. Like it would have been the ball perfect. was. It was a really good throw. and So that, I gave him an accurate pass on, I believe. And then he had two balls, right before he threw the third pick, he had two balls to Gabe Davis, where nine times out of ten, Gabe's probably bringing him in. He just kind of got, he was probably exhausted because he had like 27 targets, but (laughs) they were just, the balls couldn't have been better better thrown, and... You're not getting those throws from any other quarterback almost in the country i would I would say just like the placement he had two go routes down the sideline one on one where Gabe won, and the d b like hit Gabe's hand like last second like as he was bringing it in like on both of them good and dude. then he had a slant route right in the red zone after the uh Cincy guy went off sides to give him a a first down on fourth and five, which hit Gabe right in the hands again, just perfectly in stride. So those three balls, like, they could have all been caught, and they were all, like, you couldn't have put the ball in a better spot. So those are three incompletions, and then the interception happens, which if Gabe catches one of those balls, it doesn't happen.
1: Yeah, that's crazy. And also, his other two interceptions weren't even really his fault. So I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we're going to go out and just say this, that benching Dylan Gabriel would have been very, very stupid. And this game was not his fault.
2: Yeah, I would agree. Uh So going into last week, he was 13th in the country in EPA, which is expected points added per drop back. He was at .439, so 13th in the country is just unbelievable, and that's kind of like how valuable he is. And people, I don't know if they realize how great that is, but it's like really good.
1: <laughs> yeah, and on top of that, I mean – I feel like he's not getting benefited by the play calling or anything like that either. It's pretty clear that out of you know, 10, we're doing really well, and out of 11, we're not, and we're just sticking with that. And another thing, too, also is the offensive line play. What did you see out of them? Because at least to me, I mean, a lot of the times, the play's never had any chance with, with some of these missed blocks. Uh, what do you think?
2: I had him under pressure on 32% of dropbacks, which is absurd. Uh, you can't really function too easily as a quarterback with that. And then even when you get protection in the back of your head, has got to be like, okay, um, I'm going to get pressure in a second now. Uh, it happened on one of his sacks. It was pretty much a coverage sack where he got like three seconds of protection and then kind of just panicked and right. collapsed the pocket by himself.
1: He's used to being hit as opposed to like the Stanford game when he had all the time in the world. That makes sense. So
2: his his average pressure time snap to pressure is two point four two eight seconds, which is very low. Normally in like the NFL, you look at like a two and a half second threshold where anything below two and a half seconds is just consider is like when you want to get rid of the ball. But college is a little longer and if you watch UCF, like their routes take a lot longer to run their all more downfield, so it's going to take a little bit longer. And play action always adds a little extra time. And he's only taking one step dropbacks on every time, so it, it makes it harder on the old line, too, there. So 2.428 seconds, which is not a lot in this offense with what you, with the uh, design of it. And then eight of them came in 2.295 seconds or less, which he just has no chance. And interestingly enough, we could go into first down. Play calling again after this, but twelve of the seventeen pressures came on second and third down with five plus yards to go. So pretty much anything that's like an obvious passing down, he's he's getting pressure, and that just comes to being more productive on first down and being more efficient. And then ten of them came when UCF had multiple more blockers than pass rushers, which just shouldn't happen.
0: Right. So it's like we're calling the wrong plays on first down and putting us into terrible second down situations. In which we're unsuccessful in second down, putting us in a bad spot for third. So
2: yeah, pretty much. I mean, I mentioned this after the pick game, like the first down, first down runs to first down passes. This game, they ran twenty-one first and ten plays outside the red zone in the first three quarters. I took out the fourth quarter because they were down two scores. You're obviously going to be throwing the ball a lot more, so it kind of keeps the game state neutral.
0: So how many times do we pass on that?
2: They actually passed 13 times to 8. Four of them came on the first drive, which kind of skews it a bit. And they had a 53.84 success rate on uh, those passes. Average 8 yards per attempt. The pick 6 was on a first and 10 pass. But there was no sacks. And then on the 8 runs, they had 6 total yards, 0.75 yards per carry, a 12.5% success rate. I think it was a 5-yard run by Otis. And then... They had one fumble, and five of the eight plays had a run disruption allowed, which is a line play pretty much.
0: So that goes back to two weeks ago where you said we're basically giving up first down when we run on first down.
2: Yeah, they they probably would have been better off taking a knee on every first down.
0: <laughs> the one fumble, the combined
2: EPA for those eight plays was probably be more negative than if you took eight kneels.
1: That's, yeah, because the one fumble made it that much worse, giving yeah. the ball back. What I was going to say is now, then this goes to some of the feedback we got from the last show. Obviously, you can't throw the ball every single first down because then the success rate would go down because they know what's coming. But at the same time, you shouldn't go 50-50 if the runs just clearly are not working. Um, it's kind of what we're saying. There's a lot of, like, I mean, anti-analytic I mean, you- backlash on our last show. so.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of anti- anti-analytic anti backlash in a lot of the football world who don't actually, like, really understand the uh, numbers. Not, like, taking shots, but I'm just saying, like, people, I well, think, shots when, fired. When, you, when you, like, look at the numbers and actually understand what they mean, it makes a big difference.
1: Yeah, no, people are hard-headed, and I get that. I understand it. You know, people are like, oh, I've been coaching my whole life. You guys don't know anything. You're just sitting back here with, computers and and stuff like that and that might be true but at the end of the day the numbers don't lie and you you guys see it more and more nfl teams adapting to this stuff and soon it's just you know it's just a matter of time till till every team you know really really uses analytics to make their, uh, their decisions and stuff
2: every nfl team has numerous analytics guys um college football is just like the nfl is far behind with analytics but college football is like light years behind like it's crazy (laughs) i was actually somebody that i follow that does like tcu related analytics stuff was talking about this the other day about how far behind college football is but we're not we're not saying that we know more like x's and o's like than coaches like no that that's completely false like but from an efficiency standpoint and what gives you the best chance to win strategy wise like Coaches don't actually study that stuff. Like, they're too busy, like, actually game plan- – like, they don't have time. Like,
1: Yeah, this took you, like, all day to kind of come up with this stuff, There's right?
2: There's reasons that NFL teams all have analytic departments and the teams that are using them. I mean, if you watch the Colts last night against the Chiefs, how many times did they go for it on fourth down and get it?
1: Yeah. That actually helped them win the game. And even if they didn't, it was the right move. And also why they kept running the ball. You know, they're they're getting these success rate stuff. They're getting these sec- – success rate numbers probably during the game so they can tell like hey this is working this isn't as opposed to us now you know you re the game and you saw the difference between 10 and 11 success rate they're probably getting this stuff in game and they're like hey we got to go away from this so mm-hmm. exactly
2: and like Cincy I don't really think changed up their defense the whole entire game like they stayed in that 3-3-5 three, three, the entire game even on the last drive when UCF scored again they were in the same exact Safeties and corners back eight to 10 yards off with three down linemen and three linebackers, like the entire game.
1: Pretty much now, occasionally they, us.
2: they change from like a six to seven man box with the second safety. You would come in like, I chart men in box six yards. If you're, if you're a safety and you're six yards or closer to the line of scrimmage, I count you in. If you're past that, then you're out. You're considered a safety. So I kind of look at that and like it was a, Big change, like six or seven, would change, like, occurringly. But most of the time they were in six, and if they went seven, it was just that safety either getting late to lined up because of tempo or he was just barely inside the box. and They were in that the whole game, and they were just pretty much – it did not look like there was a single adjustment made. I mean, the third quarter, the drives went, what, three and out, three and out, interception three and out or something like that
1: something like that at that point I didn't even feel like we had a chance which is weird because normally if there's a decent amount of time on the clock it doesn't matter how many scores were down I always feel like we have a chance and it's just like yeah. we just like pump the brakes on offense and it felt yeah. like
2: you just knew they weren't going to uh move the ball which is weird
1: yeah and for the first time in in years almost regardless of who's head coach um so that brings up something else, though. Was it like this last year? Did the winning cover this up? Because I feel like we saw a lot of different plays um, last year, and a lot of different looks and motions and stuff. Um, what do you think about that?
2: Yeah, it was actually somebody was actually like sending me clips of uh, the Memphis Conference Championship game last year. They were in one personnel, I guess you could say, one tight end, four wide receivers and running like jet sweeps with Otis and stuff. And just a bunch of motion used and stuff like that. And it's just that was with Mac at QB too and that was what was that was his second start outside of the ECU game, which they didn't let him do anything. And it's like the playbook was a little bit more open there. Why aren't we seeing this now?
1: Yeah. And
2: I mean, using motion once in a game is
1: I don't get it. It's like we just literally it's l- crazy. We l- we just run and line up and do the same six plays over and over and over. Now yeah. I'm sure there's some kind of explanation, I guess. I hope so, but at the same time, if it's not working I don't understand why you won't change it. I mean I feel like that losses the game. I might be wrong. I'm sorry, but it just, you know, from the outside looking in it just wasn't doing anything. And, and other stuff was. And then You know, we talked about this earlier on the show, the two-point conversion. This is the second time he's ran a very different-looking play. First time was the LSU game on a two-point conversion out of, I think, 21 personnel with a bunch of motion and misdirection, and it works. And it's like he's saving these special plays for two-point conversions when the game's out of hand. Why not use them for touchdowns, which are worth three times as much?
2: Especially when you're in the red zone six times and you only score one touchdown. Like, you just can't win like that. You don't win kicking field goals. My favorite saying: Field goals and punting are turnovers <laughs> with our participation trophy, yeah. and it's true.
1: It's true. Yeah, your best if chance to win is with the ball in your hands. If you look
2: at the win probability adjustments from when you kick a field goal to after you kick the field goal, a lot of the time it's barely any value added, or you're actually going backwards, going almost negative. Like yeah, backwards. Like you're giving the other team a better chance to win. and there weren't, I think a lot of the fourth down situations would have been a little ridiculous to go in, but that goes into your first, second, and third down play calling in the red zone. And in the red zone, I'm a big, like, normally I'm telling, saying pass, 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 but in the red zone, it's usually the other way around. You want to run. They usually run out of 12 personnel, which they finally did after the, the turnover they got and they scored in four plays or something. Like, it's amazing how when you do some things, the uh, more efficient way they work.
0: All right, last question. I got to know. So we talked about this a little bit before we got you on the air, is yet again, no Bentavius Thompson. This is his second game that he hasn't even sniffed the field, the other one being the pit game. Both of our losses came with him not seeing the field. Is this a coincidence?
2: I wouldn't say so. I mean, I think he deserves to see the field, no doubt. Uh, but it's hard with how, how all the talent i mean ak getting four carries is ridiculous he's one of the top running backs in the country in epa which is like he's one of the least replaceable running backs you, in the country if you look at advanced metrics and you just didn't get the ball and like he had that kick return after since he kicked the field goal i think or they might have scored to go up 10-6 and he returned the ball to 49 and set up a great drive like it's just insane how some of these guys just don't get the ball in space. And I mean, I get the a lot of people want to see Bentavious more because he's bigger, which I think is your point. One hundred percent. Yeah, I'm a little. Tell I me, tell exactly, me why I'm wrong. I don't. I mean, <laughs> I'm not. I, I'm not going to say you're wrong. Like that, he shouldn't be seeing the field because he's obviously shown that he's a more than capable running back, kind of like McCray did early on in last year, and it kind of led to him getting more touches, but. Uh, Being bigger doesn't exactly translate to being more elusive and like yards after contact and stuff. Duke, Duke Johnson, like Austin Eckler, some of the best hardest guys to tackle in football, whether it be yards after contact or making guys miss. And they're extremely small running backs. I think you could throw Kamara in there too. Who's one of those guys. So I wouldn't say that being bigger exactly translates to running at yards after contact, but he's also very quick for his size. And I think he's shifty. I, I don't, have any of his numbers in front of me, but I wouldn't, like, I wouldn't hate to see him play. I'm just saying more of just because he's bigger doesn't mean that he'd get more yards after contact and stuff like that. Uh, under Frost, just had a ton of yards after contact per rush, like, and I think he did last year too. Interesting. Like, so I guess. And he's might, extremely small. It might it be just being,
1: I feel like a lot of NFL teams do this. They just put in this big back for goal line situations because they're bigger. And that might've like trained us as fans to just kind of always think that, but I think you bring up a great point that it might be like a some correlation, but just size doesn't always equal power and 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 miss tackles and yards after contact and stuff, I think is what you're yeah, seeing.
2: and so much so much of the running game is line play that too yeah especially especially in kind of Hypel's inside power run game, I guess you could call it,
1: yeah if the blocking's not almost there, these guys have no chance, I mean almost everything's
2: going in between the tackles, so like you're not outside making guys miss where your elusiveness can really matter, right let's let's see. They had 22 of their 38 runs between between the guards, hmm. With which is a high amount. Below. And I try to do like I try to do off design, like if like I think there's a play where Otis is supposed back. to run up the middle, and there was like eight guys just collapsed. Like the line blocking was terrible, and he tried to bounce it up out, outside. I try I don't chart that as a run to the outside. Because no, it's what the that's intent was. That's how the design was. is. Yep. But uh, yeah. Everything else is pretty much to the tackles. I mean, they get to the end a couple times on counter plays, but it's not, it's probably more designed to go to the tackles. They're not running any like outside zone or sweeps. So it shouldn't be hard to get these guys in space,
1: but I think. <laughs> when you run up, the, when you run between the guards, it is. I mean, let's be real. Um, all right. We got to wrap this up. Thanks so much again. This is really, really awesome info um we, we appreciate you coming on the show and if you don't already follow him at squints underscore 15 he put up a bunch of really good threads this week with gifs of certain plays pointing out kind of your observations and uh yeah really good stuff so thanks so much again and uh have a good one i
2: appreciate it have a good one
1: all right see you all right so thanks again for squints jumping on the show really breaking down the numbers and stuff um, Take all that info as you want, but I think that kind of backs up my point before, that I think the play calling is not just hurting us as a team, I think it might even be hurting the players a little bit. I mean, you know, a lot of these guys aren't getting used to their full potential, and that can hurt their future professional careers. But, you know, what do I know? I just, you know, I'm a guy with a podcast, so... All right, let's move on to the fallout from the loss. So, now with a conference loss to a division opponent, we're pretty much out of the conference championship game unless Cincy loses twice in their conference games. But Um, it's not impossible. Cincinnati still has to play at
0: Houston, at Memphis, and a tough Temple team. And also UConn and
1: USF. You never, which know.
0: It, you never know. I I feel like USF they just
1: maybe they'll just get it together. They're so bad,
0: and then they're gonna come in and like beat
1: Cincy when we need them the most. Like how epic would that be, dude? Further like helping us. That's like when right? we lost to Temple or whoever, and it got them out of the division. Exactly. So, that's should crazy. we call that right now? USF gets up and beats Cincy. <laughs> Let's not get ahead of ourselves. We saw what happened last time. One other thing too, though, is if. Say we beat Temple and Temple beats Cincy and there's no other division losses between the three of us. That's a three way tie for first, where there's like a whole weird, complicated list of tiebreakers. So that is one way that we could possibly kind of backdoor in. Oh, so
0: like we all have one loss, but we all beat each other.
1: Yeah, so if we like out of the three teams we each win one and lose one, there's a three way tie for first. Right. So there's like this. We got to figure out what the tiebreaker is. I, on I that. look through it and it's like it's too early in the season because it's like record against the better team and then it's like combined records overall. I don't, it's very complicated and it's just too early to figure out. So we'll just have to see how the season plays out. But they don't necessarily need two losses. Just saying. So there is hope. So somehow, some way, we're still in it. I think we're still in it. We're still in it. I, I really do. Yeah. And you know what? Whether it's one loss, two loss, whatever, we just got to control. We can control. We just got to support this team versus ECU, versus Tulsa, Temple, Houston, whoever, and, you know, give it our best shot. And even if we fall short, at least we can say we tried our best. As fans, as, you know, as a team, is everything. Um, And you know what? If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. We can't win the conference championship every year. No. And, you know, that brings me to my next point is
0: that this week, The new AP poll came out. Three American Athletic Conference teams are ranked in the top 25. Can't really remember the last time that happened. I'm not sure that it ever has happened. But SMU, number 21, Memphis, number 23, and Cincinnati just squeaking in there, number 25.
1: We still got a couple votes, though, right? We're like 34. We did, yeah.
0: We are still receiving votes, so we are still in the conversation um, of being in the top 25. I'll take it all day. So, you know, here's the thing. As far as the conference goes, we need to have other teams do well. It doesn't look good on us if, you know, we're 12-0 and 0 again and the whole rest of the ACC sucks and we just blew through everybody. Yeah, that's not a good look for us. When we have three teams in the top 25, which is equivalent to the ACC, the Pac-12 have three, and we have three. So, I think the gap between the Power 5 and the AAC has gotten a lot smaller. We're right up there. You know, I don't think we're obviously not the best conference in the country. We're not the second best conference in the country.
1: We're way better than the rest of the G5. We're
0: we're leaps and bounds ahead of the Group of 5. And, you know, we bring bring back to the old Power 6 conversation is that I think, I think this conference really could be a part of a power six.
1: I think it's true more now than ever. And honestly, the only thing that I think separates us from most of the schools in like the ACC and like the Pac twelve is that those conferences have the automatic bowl tie in for an my six, which the Biggies had and the American had for one year, and then they lost it with the new TV deal. Besides that, and the ridiculous amount of money that all the P five schools get when we only get six million a year and they get like 25 to 30 secs even higher than that is really the only difference the quality of the play on the field is very very similar and I think now more than ever we're getting recognized for that as a conference you're right you know it stinks what's happening to us but everyone else is finally getting the recognition it's good I, I actually really like our conference and don't forget Tulane is a really good team too they got some votes so I think the future is bright you know for us as a conference
0: yeah, I like the way it's going. And, you know, it's changing the whole narrative. It's not just a single season either. You know, there will be Memphis, SMU, Cincinnati, and Tulane. They'll all be building for years to come. Same thing, same thing with Houston, Temple. I mean, these are strong teams. These are not like bowl over teams. Memphis has wins against Power 5 teams. SMU had a win against a top 25 team. Cincinnati
1: had a win against a top 25 team even though it was us and they beat UCLA too I agree it's slowly slowly changing the narrative and kind of setting us up for more success not just UCF but as a conference in years to come the one thing that sucks though is that you know all these teams do good and they all lose their coaches in like two years but (laughs) well that was the past now I mean, you
0: have look at Dana Holgerson. That's true. Came went, here. He yeah. went from a Power Five school that West Virginia. They weren't, you know, a powerhouse, but they were still a, a respectable team. Going down, going down south to Houston. Yeah. I mean, it's possible. Pe- people want to get. You want to have like TV time. AAC. I feel like the deal with ESPN. It's better. Yeah. It's a, de- it's a better deal. It's more a decent money deal. And I feel like. There's just a lot of talk about the AAC.
1: Yeah, it's awesome. What a time to be a member of the American. You know, obviously, it stinks that we lost, but everything else just in whole as a conference is is better. So that being said, let's talk about what bowl possibilities we have. Certain bowls have tie-ins with different conferences. Let's go down the list of what our possible bowls are just real quick. So, there's a couple different bowls that we
0: could possibly make it into, even though I'm still holding strong that we will make it to the Cotton Bowl, <laughs> even with these two losses.
1: All right, man. Don't hold am I'm
0: not, not going to go out on a limb and do a guarantee or whatever, but just remember where you heard it here first. Yep. So, but some of the other bowls that we could possibly be playing in, the Birmingham Bowl, the Bad Boy Mowers Gasparilla Bowl, which is held at uh, Raymond James Stadium there in Tampa. It's like a home game for us. You got the Hawaii Bowl, Military Bowl, uh, the Cherubundi Tart Cherries Bowl. That's a Boca Bowl. I don't care if we're playing. I, I, no, I'm not going to that. I will never step foot in that stadium ever again.
1: And maybe they finally figured out the uh, security line thing. No. And then we got the, the Cure Bowl, which we've been to before. Eh, whatever. It's like a home game. And the Frisco Bowl. I think, geez, the Hawaii Bowl on Christmas Eve in Hawaii. I, I'm i not doing that. I mean, first of all, it'll cost like two grand. And second of all, it's Christmas Eve. Yeah, that, I'm not trying to tell people tough. not to go. Go if you can. But that's just really expensive to go to Hawaii in December, which I don't think is like Hawaii season.
0: Yeah, the other two is like Gasparilla Bowl, December 23rd. It's a... To Monday at like two thirty in the afternoon,
1: hard pass for me. Oh, come on, you are going. Well, I can't get off.
0: Wo- you know, I can't get off work around the holidays and stuff. Oh, yeah, hard. that's
1: true. Yeah, that's tough, man. That's tough. Ugh, whatever. You know what? Whatever happens, happens. We have no control over it, but we just want to let you guys know what the possibilities are. Um, all right, so but we're still going to the Cotton Bowl. <laughs> that's also a possibility. Moving on, real quick. Obviously, we are on a bye week. ECU two weeks from now. Homecoming night game. What are some other notable games this week to watch out for? We got Memphis at Temple.
0: We're going to root, root, root for Memphis. Oh, yeah. We got Cincinnati at Houston. Got a root, root, root for Houston. Need Cincinnati to have two losses. And uh, Hawaii plays at Boise State. Sneaky game here. Um, Hawaii's decent. Hawaii's decent. I watched that opening week game against Arizona. They beat Arizona. It was at home. It was a crazy game, though. So, you know, they go on the road to Boise. I just think Boise State's always in this position and they always slip up against somebody you're not thinking they're going to slip up against. Yeah, they're so, overrated.
1: This could be the week. I'm hoping so. Alright, since we're talking about other games this week, it's time for a favorite segment, Money Moon! Money <laughs> Moon!
0: Money Moves picks of the week. Last week, guys, I got to apologize. One and three last Ouch. week. Awful. Woof. <laughs> Horrible. But one and three. Overall record though moves me out back to ten and nine. Still somehow on the right side of winning. Winners were Texas barely, and uh, that was a crazy game near, near the end. Steve Levy actually had the call on that, and hey. he referenced the line i think like four or five times near the end of the game because they kept being up by like 11 and down and then west <laughs> virginia would score and then texas would score again so oh,
1: i wonder if those guys bet they got all bet Libby, a little bit on the game
0: friend so. of the show yeah he's um, our best friend but yeah that was kind of funny watching the end of that game all right so what do we got this week losers oh my losers last week were Miami. I think I've lost like four or five times over the last season and a half. <laughs> I'm betting on Miami. Yep. Uh, never going to learn my lesson. Also lost with Troy. Didn't really ever have a chance with that one. Missouri is definitely for real, which I'll get to later. Um, and then Oregon. I watched the whole Oregon game, and I just could not understand why they couldn't move the ball.
1: Felt like I, us for Cincy. It just
0: didn't make sense, you know. Their offense is so potent. Should Justin be. Justin yeah. Herbert, you know, going to be a first round pick, maybe the top quarterback taken in the draft. Yeah. And what I didn't account for is a cow killing the clock so much. I felt like their drives lasted. Forever and Oregon just never got the ball, and they just didn't have time
1: when when they did finally start so, moving up. So I mean,
0: I definitely was on the right side though because when I picked it, it was only fifteen and a half, and it actually moved all the way up to minus twenty one. Okay, and a half. So I still felt good about the pick, uh, just didn't work out. So anyway, this week we got three picks again for you. First pick, we're gonna go with Nebraska, the Fighting Scott Frosts plus seven and a half at Minnesota. This line, according to my power ranks, should be even. So getting Nebraska plus the points, definitely, definitely a great value. Minnesota in the power ranks is actually the weakest undefeated team left. I have five teams that have three losses that I would have favored on a neutral field over Minnesota. So does that
1: mean they're bad and just happen to be undefeated?
0: It, it kind of reminds me of, like, USF last year when they were 7-0, and but they were actually, like, one of the worst undefeated teams, or they were the worst undefeated team left. Right. It's kind of like their aversion to the mean yeah. where they lost their next six games. Regression, and, but yeah. Right. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> no, all right, so you're saying take Nebraska, all right, because I was confused at first. They're undefeated, but they're overrated. You want to take Nebraska in the points, which is good because, you know, I had that team... Team win total at eight, and it feels like every week when Nebraska is a battle to right. get to that eight.
0: So then on the other side, going for us is Nebraska is one in five this year against the spread, one in five. So what do bookmakers do? They try and adjust back the other way, give them extra points. Give them extra points. So you're getting seven and a half when you shouldn't be getting anything at all. And uh, all right, we'll take we'll take Nebraska plus seven and a half at Minnesota.
1: Boom! I like it.
0: Second pick of the week is Missouri minus twelve against Ole Miss. So obviously, last week <laughs> you think Troy, uh, totally crapped the bed against Missouri. They got I got annihilated. So wrong about Missouri. This is kind of, I do learn my lesson though. That's good. You know, because like earlier in the year, I was really high on Maryland, and oh, then yeah. they lost, and then I. I I adjusted adjusted and I picked Penn state and And look at what happened. There you go. I hope that happens again. This is going to happen. Same thing. Ever since that fluke loss at Wyoming for Missouri, they've literally been mowing down teams, high octane offense led by the clubs and transfer quarterback, Kelly Bryant. They have one of the best running backs in the sec, Larry Roundtree, um, Ole Miss, they lost to Memphis. Just no. (laughs) And, uh, They also lost. They just got beat up by Alabama. Ole Miss, this is a down year for them. At home, getting 12 points, not going to take it. Sucker bet. So we're going Missouri on the road, minus 12.
1: You think they just destroy them? I like it. All right, cool. Nice. It's just
0: too high octane. I mean, Memphis has a high octane offense. Couldn't hold up with Ole Miss, couldn't hold up with them. Taking Mizzou. All
1: right, what's your last pick?
0: Third pick, we're going with Kentucky. The Wildcats, minus six and a half against Arkansas. This line should be closer to like minus 13. Arkansas, they just lost to Ole Miss, who lost to Memphis. So use that transited property that we love so we much. We love that. Oh, yeah. And uh, it equals out to they're horrible. And uh, they got Bama and Auburn back to back after this game. So they'll play hard, but you know the talent just isn't there. Kentucky, they've dropped three in a row, but their schedule's been really tough. Now that loss to Florida a few weeks ago actually looks way better now that we know that Florida's for real, I think. We'll see. I actually want to ask you about that game, but finish this. So anyway, we're taking Kentucky minus 6.5. We'll recap the picks really fast. Nebraska plus 7.5 at Minnesota. We're taking Missouri minus 12. Oh, that game's at home. I think I said there was at Ole Miss. Oh, so I like it even more. Missouri hey. minus twelve at home and Kentucky minus six and a half. Let's get, get that money. money.
1: All right, real quick, like ten seconds. How do you feel about the Gators plus thirteen at Auburn?
0: So I think the line is right on the money. Oh. I, that that's what the Power ranks say. It should be about that. Uh, so I'm not going to be betting the game. There's no value at all. Gotcha. I think. You know, it's a 50-50 shot that uh that they cover or they don't cover. Yeah. If if I was a betting man though and I were to just bet every every game, you know, just because I felt like it, don't take Florida plus thirteen. They're either gonna win or they're gonna get blown out. I would take the money line. More if value rate. there, yeah. Yeah. I would take the money line on uh the Gators if I was gonna bet them. Gotcha. But you're not. All right, let's wrap this
1: up. Let's do the mailbag.
0: All right, guys, it's time for Moose Mailbag. This is where you guys ask the questions and we answer as many as possible. So keep sending in those questions to us on Twitter and Instagram today, by the way. Uh, first one is from jdog722.
1: Should Hypel give up play calling? You know what? Honestly, at this point, from everything we've learned through this episode and everything I've seen, I think we need a change. I think he's starting to lose some of the fan base. I know there's rumors that I don't know. Maybe some of the players are frustrated. I whoa. think
0: whoa whoa whoa. I don't.
1: I don't know. I'm just you know just read the message boards. I think he should give it to Jeff Levy. He's a bright young offensive mind. Hypo. I think he has too much on his plate. If you're calling plays half the game, you can't actually sit back and look and know what's working and what's not formation wise to adjust. I think he should go into more of like a delegation role as a head coach. Let Shannon do the defense, Lebby call the plays. You can always suggest stuff to him, but I think a change would be good. And I, you know, I think that would really rejuvenate us because I, honestly, right now, I feel like he's lost half the fans. Whether we're right or wrong, there's a lot of people thinking that his play calling has lost us these two games. So, yeah, to me, uh, trying to call the plays when you're the head coach seems it's a lot, kind of impossible. It's a lot. And then you got to worry about clock management and stuff. And that's just like one little part of the game. So I don't know. I might be right. I might be wrong. But that's why we're here. So it's our show. You asked a question. Yeah. All right. Next question from Alex Harris. Is it true that there are no more divisions in the American conference? Well, I think starting with next
0: season, that is true. They are getting rid of divisions. Top two conference records will be going on to the conference championship really really big fan of this Um, it's
1: interesting it gives you a chance if you lose one game to possibly still be up there because now we're we really really need a miracle this is all because UConn is leaving next year and we're going from 12 to 11 and it just wouldn't be fair to have unbalanced divisions so that's the reason for that I mean we're still gonna play like
0: USF every year yeah. You know, it, it just gives a chance. Plus some some years, you know, the West is better, some years the East is better. Yeah. It, it just, just makes it more it, fair. I it agree. makes it more fair. It doesn't really make sense to have it so divided and end all be all is you you take the, the best two teams. The best yep. two teams should play for the conference championship at the end of the year, at the end. Agreed. All right. This next question comes from Scott Steele, fifty five. Best case scenario
1: to end 2019. Your thoughts? Well, I mean, we win out, win every game by 40. (laughs) No, I mean, in all seriousness, since he loses a couple games, we win the rest and, you know, come back. Uh, Levy's call and plays. We, you know, win the division, make the conference championship. Boise State has three losses. We make the Cotton Bowl. (laughs) I mean, it's possible, like you said earlier. Uh, But, you know... Like we always say, we can only control, we can control, and that's going 1-0 every week. As a fan base, as a team, everything, right? Yeah, and I'm a lot more optimistic than most people.
0: I think now Boise only has to lose one game. I think we'll get in over them if we have two losses. If we went out and since he loses a couple, we're still making it to the Cotton Bowl. I, I it, it's possible. It's possible. It,
1: it's possible. It's
0: possible. I'm not going to go out on a limb and, you know,
1: guarantee a playoff spot or <laughs> anything like that. Yeah, that'd be just stupid. Who would do that? Uh all right, this next one's from Alex coming. Why are UCF fans being so finicky? This is from a current UCF student. I'm not sure. I mean, it, you were spoiled. We're
0: spoiled. Yeah, and you take you take into account like all of the things that have happened over the last couple of years you know who was there on the Owen f- in the Owen 15 year you know who was there when i went to the USF game that year who was there when we went you know 4 and 8 in 2008 who was there when we went 5 and 7 i think uh, 2011 or 2012 one of the one of those years we we went 5 and 7 i remember we were almost bowl eligible and we were playing like i think it was either east carolina or tulsa like one of the final games near the end of the year. And I got, we got like wiped off the map, but just a dumb team like Tulsa, East Carolina. And yeah. That, back in the George O'Leary that,
1: days, it, it would be like we'd win the conference championship and then win like four or five games. And it would go 10 wins, terrible season. 10 wins, terrible season. Now we've had three, two undefeated regular seasons and we started off well and we're just spoiled. And I mean, there's only, I don't think anyone in school right now, unless you're, Staying for the extra year, yeah, unless you're a fifth year, you don't even remember 0-12. Your worst season was 6-7 and seven Frost, and that was great in our eyes. So it's all about perspective. But, you know, it's not a bad thing to expect greatness at the same time. We just got to, you know, get used to handling a couple losses. It'll yeah. be all right.
0: And, I mean, look at some of the Power 5 teams that have so much tradition, so much winning, championships and everything. You talk about, like, look at Michigan. Look at the state of their football program right now. They're talking about firing a great head coach. Look at Tennessee. Look at the state of their football program right now. (laughs) And look at UCF. It's not that bad. You know, be damn proud of who you are, where you've come from, and what you're about to do the rest of this season, next season, the year after that. Because i got to tell you, we're not going anywhere. This is not the end of you know, our run.
1: No, this is just the very, very beginning. When
0: Danny White said he wanted to have a top 25 program in all sports, you know, it's pretty crazy that we did it. It's (laughs) It's pretty close to, uh, to
1: doing that, you know, with basketballs, every sport, it's,
0: it's insane.
1: It's awesome. You know, you, you hold yourself to a high standard and that elevates what happens on the field. You know, By saying you want to have a top 25 program in every sport, losing seasons are unacceptable. Having Holding us to a high standard just brings up, elevates the play of everyone, the coaching, the players, the recruiting. You know, you set that bar really high, and everyone kind of follows along with it, I think.
0: Right. And, you know, you control the controllables. What can you do? You can show up to uh, ECU for the next game. Yeah. We have recruits at almost every game.
1: It's important. Does to show a recruit
0: up? want to come to a game and go, oh, man, this stadium's half empty. You know, they're only playing East Carolina. So I know a lot of the fans didn't really want to show up, but eh, it's cool. I guess I'll still go to UCF. No, nobody's saying that. Yeah, no, wait, two losses and everyone's going to show up. East Carolina, that 7 o'clock kickoff. This is what we wanted, right? We all complained about those noon kickoffs. Have we had any noon games yet? No. Nope. We're not going to have a noon game this year, it which is
1: crazy. It doesn't look like it. There's it's no possible.
0: way they're going to put Houston at noon, and there's no way they're going to put USF at noon.
1: Yeah. Like, when was the
0: last time we ever had a season with no noon games?
1: I don't think ever. We'll have to somehow This look is what up. We've been waiting for. For yeah. years. It's awesome. I You know, these losses or whatever, but the whole state of the program is great. You know what? Play calling, not that bad, whatever. we can fix that. It's not a big deal, guys. We're in a great state, and like I said earlier, just glance over to the West if you want to feel better about everything.
0: (laughs) All right, wrapping it up here, guys. This last question is from at Miko Frico. Did UCF Probs jinx us after the Stanford game when he said we were going to the playoffs? I trusted you. And then a crying emoji.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I probably got a little ahead of myself, but that's what I tend to do. But I can guarantee you, like 100% certain, that I had nothing to do with the loss to Pit. So you can believe in a bunch of hocus pocus or whatever you want, but we know why we lost to Pit. But what if you were in the
0: stands next to me cheering in that second half, though? Would it have been a different outcome?
1: Now that might be true. Like my one point oh oh one decibel could have like drawn I mean, them off the sides. trick
0: play was in our end zone. They definitely heard me. I knew they were gonna they were gonna hear you. Oh, I would have called it like, out.
1: Philly 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 Philly.
0: I feel like you <laughs> I feel like with Squint's analytics, you know, you would have seen the formation and gone oh, <laughs> I would
1: have I would have fallen Philly for Philly it before Philly. anyone. I'd be like, <laughs> oh what's the quarterback and then next thing I know don't and then I would have ended up in jail <laughs> for being so upset. No, that was a good question, though. Thanks for, uh, thanks for that. Uh, hey, you know what? I'm wrong. I admit it. Like that was that was very stupid. But, hey, I wasn't the only person saying that after the Stanford game. Right? Just saying, show is all about hot takes. Sometimes you're right. Sometimes you're wrong. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I'd like to be right just a little bit more than wrong. Um. All right, let's wrap this up, guys. I've never had we had like 50 question submissions. A lot of them we didn't get to, and I know we say we do, and we normally actually do, but we address this stuff all throughout the show so we apologize for not getting to those but we had already covered this stuff and you didn't want to beat a dead horse yeah because some are kind of repetitive and it's like oh we already answered that but yeah and we're already at a long show i think but-
0: probs you are going to answer most of them on twitter
1: yeah I'll, I'll get i'll get back to all you guys i love talking to people on twitter um but yeah that's all we got guys enjoy the bye week uh root for Houston? Root for Houston, root for Memphis, uh, root for Hawaii. Root for
0: Hawaii, root for everybody to lose.
1: Just enjoy that Saturday on your couch where you can just wake up, crack a beer at noon, just sit there all day, watch college football, and not have to worry about UCF. We needed the break, honestly. This is a good time for a bye week. And uh, yeah, me and we are going to Columbia, so if we don't die, we will talk to you guys next week. Go Knights. Charge on. <laughs>
0: i Nations.